It's the tip of the spear in the epic battle to defend the United States of America. The National Security Hour exposes the wolves in sheep's clothing and their nefarious plots to undermine and destroy U.S. national security. All right, welcome everybody. This is Colonel Rhett John, Colonel Rhett John, the National Security Hour for America Out Loud News Network. And today, just have a, a wonderful friend, a colleague, a really accomplished individual who is who is so helpful uh, on uh, my my recent Taiwan trip, but also so many uh, other matters. And and this is uh, Dr. Uh, Bradley Thayer, uh, who's with me also at the Center for Security Policies. So uh, I'd like to introduce Brad. Welcome to the show, and uh, thank you so much uh, for for being on the show. John, it's my pleasure to join you. All right, thank you, uh, thank you, uh, Doctor Thayer. I appreciate that. And uh, uh, so, just tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Give, give them. How did you get from where you were to where you are today? Oh goodness. Um, well, I was. Uh, I have an a, a background as an academic, and and um, I've done a lot of work in the policy uh, field. And so, uh, the. Um, principal driving uh, element of me has just been a very deep interest in international politics and and the role that security plays, international security plays uh, in international politics. And that's something that I studied as a student. Uh, and then I continued uh, uh, in a, a career at universities in the U.S. and in Britain uh, and in Europe. And I have had a chance to do some policy work uh, as well for think tanks in the D.C. area uh, and um, at RAND uh, as well early in my career. Uh, and that's always been really of great interest to me to do work which is uh, both important uh, and that is insightful, but um, at the same time, of course, uh, has a direct policy uh, relevance that allows us to understand many of the issues that we face today and what the United States should do uh, to, a, to a, a address them. Uh, and so now I'm, I'm really doing most of my work in, uh, as a writer and as a commentator. And I'm very pleased to say that I'll have a new book with uh, Jim Fennell uh, called Embracing Communist China, America's Greatest Strategic Failure. Uh, which will be out at the end of February, beginning of March. Uh, it's, a, we believe, a very important book that really looks at the issue of how could this happen? How could the United States allow the People's Republic of China to grow from uh, a very weak state um, uh, in, let's say, 1990 uh, to the peer competitor that the United States faces uh, today? Uh, so, uh, in, in a nutshell, that's the, the background that I have and, and um, uh, the uh, immediate um, uh, work that I'll be publishing this year. Well, thank you. Yeah, that, that's good. I'm, I'm looking forward to that book. That'll be absolutely awesome. Um, uh, thank you so much. Now, just a curiosity. Now, I'm, I have not uh, uh, obtained yet the, the PhD status. Um, you, you, uh, I am an adjunct professor at one university about to come on to another university. Now you, you've done, you, you, you've taught as a professor, you've been in the academic world. Um, is it, is it 
fair to characterize you more on kind of the perhaps conservative and or mega MAGA side of the house? Is that is that okay to say that? Well, certainly, uh, that's fair to say. Um, in, in the assessment, really, of where the United, the strategic realities that the United States faces today. Uh, are ones that are well identified and captured by uh, Donald Trump's MAGA movement uh, and its identification really of uh, how we let China uh, uh, grow to the power uh, that it is and how we've hollowed out so much of American manufacturing uh, and, uh, if you will, uh, much of the American soul or the American spirit uh, as well uh, has been lost. And so um, sadly, uh, that process continues with investment, John, as you well know, um, and trade with uh, the People's Republic of China. And the great one of the great aspects of the MAGA movement, to my mind, is its identification that that needs to stop. We can no longer uh, facilitate the rise uh, of our enemy, which the People's Republic of China is, and we must take measures uh, to combat it. And President Trump, obviously, in his first term, attempted to do so. That's been largely in abeyance with the Biden administration, which has decided to embrace engagement once again with the People's Republic of China. And we need to return to those Trump policies. And indeed, John, as you well know, they need to be tougher. Uh, mm -hmm. even than what we had in the first term with respect to trade investment and dealing with the security implications of the rise of China, uh, securing the um, <clears throat> uh, protection of our partner, Taiwan. I'm sure we'll talk in depth about that uh, uh, as well, and allies in the Indo-Pacific uh, as well. So that's certainly a fair characterization. Well, well, good. I and and one of the points I'd I'd, I'd like to make as as we retake America, I'm very proud of you and and you willing to be an academic and unashamedly uh, on the mega side of the house. So many academics are just prone to the the groupthink of of uh, adherence and and as the fiascos of Harvard and UPenn have shown, this leads to just dangerous, dangerous ideologies. But I mean, have you found it difficult to be uh, um, uh, with your your worldviews? Uh, is that is that challenging as you've you've climbed the academic ladder? Oh well, certainly it is, uh, and and I, I think there are several problems with with academe, and that is, as you observed, yes, it's really um, there's a herd mentality uh, uh, in much of it, um, but there's also a great timidity um, and an unwillingness to face the questions that really compel us uh, to address. Uh, Orwell had that great line where he says, um, "You know, it takes the greatest effort to." Uh, realize what's happening in front of your nose. Uh, and I think that's exactly it. It takes tremendous uh, attention to recognize really what are our problems today uh, and how are we going to address them? What's the strategic reality today uh, in 2024 versus, say, 1990 or, say, in uh, at some other point uh, in time? Or in really a fantasy that many individuals might want to have in terms of the directions that we're going. So looking what's in front of your nose is what we need to do 
And too few people do that, John, in the policy realm, as well as uh, on Capitol Hill, as well as uh, in in uh, academe. Uh, so that's a fault that we may share more broadly. And that's nowhere is that clearer than in the rise of the People's Republic of China uh, and its consequence, where something was happening right in front of your nose, but no one did anything about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And still, and people still do not want to uh, address that threat, John, as you well know. Yeah, this is this is a big problem. Um, well, you know, it's uh, in a, in addition to having to reestablish manufacturing, reestablish the education system. Yeah, we have to really recapture these institutions. There was a report that just came out. Uh, uh, oh, today or yes, uh, yesterday. And it was talking about essentially the, the 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 total essentially not just hollowing out a word you used earlier, but a, a a collapse of our defense industrial base. And I and there's appendages and linkages to so many things, including the education system, K through twelve, post K through twelve, and. We have plenty of people who can do uh, environmental impact statements or, you know, uh, pontificate about gender studies. But okay, uh, how do you set up a how do you set up an aircraft manufacturing line? Nobody knows. Right. How to do it. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, how do you do that? And um, this is a problem which has been decades in the making. Uh, and we've witnessed uh, uh, the consequences of this. And Jim Fennell and I do um, uh, look at this issue in, in some considerable detail. But uh, it, it was a profound problem where American strategists just went into hibernation and the engagement school took over. So economics and finance trump strategy. Mm-hmm. And so when the economists and the financiers are running the world, um, there are going to be many negative consequences associated with that. Additionally, there was the end of history moment, as you well know, John, right? Francis Fukuyama's very famous uh, argument where it did seem that democracy was on the march, didn't it? Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. In those heady days in the uh, late 80s, early 90s and mid 90s. And it seemed that um, uh, even the People's Republic of China, the Chinese Communist Party would fall uh, conceivably and Russia might become democratic, of course. All of those uh, beliefs, uh, sadly, myth- mythological beliefs of the uh, of the 1990s, uh, and that really had a profound strategic effect as well. Additionally, our enemy did his utmost to fool us. We can't blame our enemy for trying to fool us through a strategic, a political warfare campaign of threat deflation. That is uh, an effort to work with U.S. elites to consistently underestimate the threat where China was always, if you will, as Deng Xiaoping observed in, in uh, 1992, a hide-and-buy 24-character strategy or 28-character strategy where China was going to hide its growth. Uh, it was going to embrace, if you will, a cherish obscurity, et cetera, as you know, John, uh, in an effort to minimize uh, the threat um, that it posed in giving um, the elites who wanted to embrace and continue engagement policies, uh, if you will, um, no tripwire. So reform of the Chinese Communist Party was always just over the horizon. If only we traded with China a little bit more, 
could we bring about any type of reform? If only we could invest in China a little bit more. If only we could share our technology, uh, our knowledge, our ways of doing business, uh, then there, there's the possibility of reform. Now, that conceit was laid bare, certainly by the late 90s. Uh, and it was quite clear that people were interested in China for the profits, for their own avarice, of course. Um, but also because, to a large degree, uh, they saw what China was becoming. And there was an envy of the control that the Chinese Communist Party had. Right. Remember, Lincoln Steffens went, the very famous American, if you will, author, Lincoln Steffens went to the Soviet Union in 1919. And he said, I've seen the future, paraphrasing, but I've seen the future and it works. Right. <laughs> he looked at the Soviet Union and he saw that it was working. Right. So I think many of our American elites in the media and academe, business finance, of course, uh, looked at the Chinese Communist Party and saw something there that was positive. Um Workers did not go on strike, right? They worked very, very long hours for very little money and con uh, conditions that would make D uh, Dickens blush. Um, and um, uh, they seemed to have order in their society, and there was tremendous profits to be made uh, for uh, Wall Street, uh, for financiers, and, and uh, for others. Additionally, again, this point must be stressed. Deng Xiaoping was the greatest strategist of the 20th century. He recognized that he could make American capitalists and the American elite his partner. And if he shared wealth with them, he could buy them cheaply. It didn't actually take much money to buy the American elite. Uh, and uh, to bring about that confluence of interests between uh, the survival of the Chinese Communist Party when it was in a precarious situation in the early 1990s uh, to the fact that it solidified its power and the fact that it has become a peer now uh, in, in power uh, with uh, the United States. He did that in conjunction with the American elite, where money flowed, influence flowed, resources flowed uh, to universities as we've seen to a Penn Biden center, right? Where mm -hmm. many tens of millions of dollars uh, flowed uh, and with the media, with think tanks uh, as well. So it was a tremendous problem. It's one that we have not resolved. Uh, it still uh, uh, remains with us, as well as businesses, of course, and financiers who still want to continue engagement, still want to use, of course, as BlackRock does, uh, American retirement funds, including military funds, as you know, John, as a veteran, right? Uh, that, that was a, a, a battle that we fought, of course, with Roger Robinson and, and other good people on the Committee on Present Danger China to, to end that or, or to work to at least offer the opportunity of ending that, where, um, if you will, American military retirement funds were flowing into ultimately the people's liberation army to make mm -hmm. it a more formidable uh force this madness can't go on uh and it can't go on because the people's republic won't allow it right i mean they're very aggressively pushing for change in international politics and they're going to bring about that change unless the united states uh stops them but they do have to thank their lucky stars and they must think that my goodness how fortunate were they to have an American elite you could buy for pennies, in essence, 
for a trivial amount of money, and the rewards were so great uh, for them. It's a truly bizarre and unique time in international politics where um, the United States funded the rise of its enemy and continues uh, to sustain its enemy, and that must end. Um, Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. The uh, one thing I I was curious about is we just saw the, and I I have to admit that I was, my enlightenment and Damascene moment really where I, I, I understood the threat. I mean, inside government, and I left government in 2018, but it really did pivot from in 2010 from, from Russia being the pacing threat to China. And from that point onward, it was always China, China, China. But I didn't understand a lot of the gravity and significance. We just had the Davos uh, conference wrap up. In the past, DOD would send a delegation to Davos. We'd send a delegation to the Aspen, uh, uh, the Aspen Institute conference, kind of the American analog. And you know, even during the, I was in during the first tr- uh, year of the Trump administration, first for you know, first year and in a little few months, and it was like, oh, yeah, okay, Trump, we're sending delegate. Didn't it didn't even occur to me until I retired and began to learn. And Davos is one of those platforms where China now dominates the world economic forum and this is their their venue so it's all bad nothing good comes out of this nothing good comes out of this and uh so so brad thank you so much we're going to wrap up this first segment everybody this is uh colonel rhett john uh with my good friend and colleague uh dr brad thayer the national security hour on america out loud news network World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Be a part of a revolutionary new healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interests of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced? These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system becomes less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening, and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code OUTLOUD. Trouble concentrating or recalling information is frustrating, embarrassing, and kills productivity. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Focus and Recall to boost your brain power. And unlike other supplements that don't work, Focus and Recall is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients to help you immediately sharpen focus and strengthen recall. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order, risk-free. Love it or your money back, guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code OUTLOUD. Loud. Welcome back, everyone. Colonel Rhett John, 
on the National Security Hour with my good friend and colleague, Dr. Brad Thayer. And again, Brad and uh, was very helpful. Uh, uh, Steve Bannon at War Room and uh, Brandon Howes of Worldview uh, Television uh, sponsored the trip. But uh, Brad was just key in in helping and advocating and preparing and uh, and pre- uh, for the whole event. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Brad. You, you were just wonderful. Um, but now, yeah, the election was, it was moving being over there. And I mean, the difference between the three parties was marked. Um, the Democratic uh, 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 Progressive Party, which some Americans trip over that name and say, well, that's not us. Um, well, I said, you know, don't, don't, these foreign names don't don't worry about that. I mean, they they are definitely a a conservative leaning, uh, make Taiwan great populist party, and they won decisively. And that's the group China didn't want to win. The KMT, nothing against old people. I'm an old people, but uh, it was total snoozerville. Uh, the one time we were able to find a rally, a KMT rally, it was pretty uninspiring. Um, and you know, that was some of the comments afterwards was that although technically they won more seats, not a majority in the uh, legislative yuan, they're a party in decline and, and, and Ho Yui, um, his, he had a a ghost written, I assert a ghost written piece in, uh, uh, foreign relations, uh, foreign affairs magazine on the council of foreign relations, the globalist organization we like to dislike, um, Maybe even Richard Haas wrote it directly, who I've talked to several times. And I just that that piece was such a such a ghost-written, contrived hit piece, and and they still lost. And then you had the TPP, the Taiwan People's Party, that tried tried to play middle of the road. I always point out they actually had the the sharpest spike in defense spending, though. But uh, now I've heard some people say the KMT. And I got a little bit of family connection to the KMT in a long story. Um, is uh, but somebody was just saying recently, "Oh, they're the they're the they're the true conservatives." I said, uh, "That is a very weird uh, description uh, definition of conservatism. They are a absolutely captured opposition and in the pocket of the of the, com- of the communist party." And this, frankly, long story short, this is what drove the CIA crazy with uh, Chiang Kai Shek. Uh, every dollar they gave him. 80% immediately went to the big guy, meaning his pocket, and every agent that we dropped into China was always captured and killed for some reason. So actually a guy named Larry Wu Tai Chin, who was arrested mm-hmm. in 1984 and committed suicide right here in the Prince William County, well, I'm not in the jail, but in the Prince William County Jail, Prince William County where I'm at, um, that was the guy who was giving a, who was giving every single name, uh, um, but corrupt people, anyway. What do you think now that the election is over, DPP decisively won the presidency. We don't know yet about what kind of, because they've never had a, the day after the election, they said, we've never, the academics that we met with as press, they said, we don't know what's going to happen. Never happened before. We're going to have to wait and see in the, in the legislative body. But what do you, what do you think after this? So what was the impact? What was the significance? What do you think is going to happen next with both Taiwan and China? Well, John, I was so glad your reporting for War Room was outstanding and that it gave a flavor for Americans, an insight for Americans that uh, uh, really the American media did not cover it well. 
at all. And uh, you were there uh, for a long period of time uh, to, uh, uh, in the run-up, and, and to gauge uh, really how the three parties were doing uh, and, and uh, why DPP were, uh, were doing uh, uh, so well in the support uh, for them. And so I think that was invaluable to give um, to American audience absolutely what they needed to have. And, and this was 2024 is going to be, of course, a year of many great important elections. And this was the first uh, uh, in Taiwan. So what I would anticipate uh, happening is that you're going to have uh, the PRC's coercion is going to continue and it's going to become worse. Um, as you well know, the incursions, uh, John, that the um, PRC is launching, the People's Liberation Army is launching through uh, air forces, naval forces, uh, so aerial as well as maritime incursions, uh, signalings, for example, like cutting cables, mar uh, the maritime cables from Taiwan to more distant islands, uh, for example, all are important signals. Um, we should expect that that's going to tighten the election interference. Of course, you documented well in terms of what you we saw. The uh, PRC had its big thumb on the scale, and they definitely had their preferred candidates. Um, at the same time, of course, they want confusion. Uh, in Taiwan. In some respects, a Leninist, the worse, the better is good for uh, the PRC. Having confusion, doubt, dissension uh, on Taiwan is, is a positive thing. And the election did not give them that, right? The election gave them an answer and it showed the Chinese, the Taiwanese people voiced very clearly uh, what they wanted uh, and the direction that they wanted uh, uh, to move. So what we would expect is more interference domestically through fifth columns, through cyber, through AI and deep fakes, through every trick in the book uh, is going to continue in terms of coercive measures that um, uh, the People's Republic of China is going to execute against Taiwan because they're going to invade. This is something which is definite. Uh, as in your reporting, you stressed, of course, um, the window may be far shorter than any of us anticipate, uh, and that actions before, uh, obviously, the weather changes, it becomes far more difficult to conduct an amphibious assault, uh, is, uh, that makes sound military uh, uh, sense. But we should anticipate, too, the world is full of military surprise, and states doing things China uh, undertaking actions uh, that surprise uh, the rest of the world. So coercion is going to increase, all moving towards uh, invasion. And uh, that, I think, is, is something that came out of your reporting, and I definitely share that. Uh, and if there isn't the means to deter uh, an attack, uh, and uh, it doesn't seem at this stage uh, there is, and I'd be interested, John, in your thoughts on that as well, in terms of a conventional deterrent. Uh, it's a very difficult situation given the urgency of Xi Jinping uh, to conquer Taiwan and the, the tepid response of uh, the Biden administration, uh, where there's very little going actually to Taiwan. It's always delayed. Uh, and so there's no sense of urgency that you saw with Ukraine, for example, where that was a high priority for the U.S. government and still remains a high priority of the U.S. government. Uh, you don't see that energy 
uh, with Taiwan. And it's quite curious because the threat that Taiwan faces and the importance of Taiwan um, are, are far greater than Ukraine. Yeah, yeah, I've I've called up uh, both the State Department, uh, yeah, just as a private citizen and 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 slash journalist uh, representing media, uh, both State Department uh, uh, leads and uh, Defense Security Cooperation Agency leads. Uh, they've been they've been very cooperative and have shared what they can. Uh, Knowing a bit about the Taiwanese psyche, they're very reticent to complain or appear ungrateful in any way. But it it was a topic the day after was the delay in arms sales is noticeable. And between we got Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan, and and as we talked a little bit in the first segment, uh, the anemic nature of our defense industrial base and 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 again i think it was uh uh lauren thompson just had a had a piece on this and i thought it was a good piece on uh just we have to acknowledge our defense industrial base is is a mess and uh and and largely does not even exist anymore and and again i'm being in the white house during the uh, during the, the obama year bush years obama years and spending time with the you know a bunch of the obama biden folks they they just there's a lot of ignorance they just feel we have somewhere these factories that you just throw a switch and then just things start coming off the end of the assembly line i mean yeah they don't exist they're gone and um so we have to totally re- redo uh set this up you know i there's people, uh, uh, Randy Shriver, even with the Trump team, was one of them. And I, I, I never like this debate over prestige versus prickly weapons. I, my argument was always they needed both. However, comma, to financially demonstrate that they were weighting it toward great prickly weapons, like lots of missiles and mines, they needed to increase their defense spending, which they have. And they're they're well up into the mid twenty billion per annum, and and probably and it's going to go up even more. But part of that is production capacity, and you know one of the things talked about is maybe they self produce under license some of the weapons they need. And I remember when I was a liaison to Taiwan from the Department of Defense several times, they would ask me about specific componentry to improve certain things. I'm not going to go into any details, and I said. Listen, my fin- my hands are tied until a, f- a signed memo goes from the government the government of Taiwan to the AIT desk in Taipei. Your request is not real, <laughs> so it has to it has to be a signed memo. I, we can't go off of verbals and things. That's just that's how defense sales and complex arrangements between governments work. We don't go off of verbals. We need a signed memo from the country requesting it. But yeah, I, I think. I think they need both prickly and prestige weapons. Um, what do you think about maybe they have a tight time window be- before the real hurricane, Hurricane T, occurs in November? Hurricane Trump, the hurricane they don't want. What about maybe? doing something in different directions. What do you think about maybe landing on the Philippines, which is the four new American bases are really, really not 
really any, not, not even IOC at this point in time. What about the Solomon Islands? What about something else other than landing on Taiwan, but having great effect or impact? What, do you, what are your thoughts on that? Certainly, that's a, that, that's a possibility. And, and in, even on Japanese territory, I think that that's uh, the Philippines and or, or leapfrogging Taiwan in other respects, as you said, uh, beyond. I, I, I think that's uh, all uh, a possibility. And, and uh, my, my thoughts are three, really. First, we got ourselves in this mess. We allowed China to expand in the South China Sea, put pressure on the Japanese in the East China Sea. We didn't do anything about it. Um, and that was true of Clinton, that was true of Bush, and that was true of Obama. Um, and uh, that we're, we're paying the price for that now for the disastrous back, uh, is Scarborough Shoal in, in 2012, uh, disastrous uh, uh, de uh, decisions there. And for not supporting the Philippines actively when the Permanent Court of Arbitration ruled in favor of the Philippines in 2016. All of that was a blessing. We should have acted on that uh, act uh, uh, greatly. Second point is, uh, John, as, as we were discussing and linking the two themes, was uh, it's going to be very difficult for them to conventionally deter based on their own assets. Yes, uh, they need a lot flowing in, but um, I think given the imbalance of power between the uh, People's Republic of China and Taiwan, it's... Um, very difficult situation. So they need to look to friends and partners around the world. We need to have a, a U.S. presence, which is expanded. We need to have uh, perhaps other countries, Japan, um, Filipino forces based in Taiwan, Indian forces based on Taiwan. We need to ensure that like the Cold War, when we were so worried about West Germany and deterring that attack, of course, again, on the Central Front, we, there was not the U.S. carrying that burden or the West Germans. There were a lot of folks involved uh, in that. And that's going to be critical for a conventional deterrent. And, and linked to conventional deterrent would be to start thinking about tactical nuclear weapons presence in theater mm. and on Taiwan mm. itself mm. Uh, to ensure that um, uh, the escalation from conventional to tactical nuclear weapons use is something we need to entertain we don't have a theater capability in a way that we should, and mm -hmm. our strategic forces are not what they ought to be. But we need to have that type of linkage, again, as we talked about in the Cold War, between the conventional and, and uh, the nuclear. And the third point I would make is that, as you observed in your reporting, and, and as well as in this broadcast with the audience, was that the Taiwanese people are doing what they can um, in terms of stepping up and reaching out to the rest of the world, and the rest of the world has to help them uh, in this respect. That means more, again, as the, the, a presence, but also freedom of navigation operations uh, going on with the Canadians, for example, uh, Jap uh, Japanese, Australian, U.S. vessels, you're bringing Europeans in. Again, as we, we witnessed, of course, the British uh, in years past, relatively recently, with Queen Elizabeth, uh, have done some excellent uh, freedom of navigation operations, even the West, Ger the Germans and the French, uh, too. But to routinize that so that Beijing's calculus is complicated, we begin by saying the jet, they, they may leapfrog, they may do something unexpected, but we need to do something unexpected as well yeah, by bringing yeah, in a lot good. more countries and, and their conventional might 
uh, as well to, cause Taiwan can't do this on its own. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, wow. I, I, uh, I visited a, you know, uh, they, my host, the new federal state of China brought me out to the top right part of the Island to an area called, uh, pronounced Elon. Uh, um, and it was fascinating because there's a deep water port and base there, Suwao, which um, very likely in the strategy of a forced entry, that might be what they want because that base gives them immediate deep water access to the deep Pacific. So, you know, uh, uh, you know, I recognize this as we we're doing this tour. Is oh my, I hadn't even thought about this. But I love your, I love your uh, guidance and and thoughts and observations on we have to do something asymmetric. That's that's really good. That's really good. Um, we're at the end of this next segment, and time goes so so fast. I really uh, have enjoyed this, uh, Brad. Thank you so much. We're going to uh, take a quick break, uh, and we'll be right back with the final segment uh, with Dr. Brad Thayer on the National Security Hour. This is Colonel Rhett John for America Out Loud News Network. Many voices, one freedom united in the First Amendment. Our goal is to herald the voice of genuine liberty at AmericaOutloud.news, a place where you'll find the naked truth expressed with a patriotic heart. Now is our time, my fellow Americans. America Out Loud Talk Radio liberty and justice for all. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Today's high stress on the go lifestyle makes it hard to stay heart healthy. Lifestyle changes like exercise and diet are critical, but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. Healthy Cell created heart and vascular health to support three aspects of heart health, cholesterol, blood pressure, and triglycerides with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And Healthy Cell's not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients. You would need to take 13 pills to get the same amount of nutrients in each gel pack. And these great-tasting gels come in a small packet. Tear off the top, shoot it down, or mix it in water. Get heart healthy. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 25% off. We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger, but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, we heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything.
Okay, this is Colonel Rhett John back on the National Security Hour. My good friend and colleague, Dr. Brad Thayer. And uh, we've talked about the, uh, the election. We've talked about the mortal danger of China. Uh, Dr. Thayer, as you view the panorama of rapidly unfolding events, what is your view? Are we heading toward a world war? Are we already in a world war? Are we just experiencing a a disconnected set of regional conflicts? What are your thoughts? We're in a cold war with China. This is uh, the United States. The Sino-American relationship is defined by intense security competition. It's security competition, which is worsening. Uh, And that competition, like the Cold War of the Soviet Union, involves every realm of international politics and of domestic politics, with the exception of the kinetic thus far. So we can think about in the diplomatic realm, we're seeing U.S. diplomacy fight um, the PRC's diplomacy. In technology, we're seeing the PRC race to become technologically dominant take that from the United States. In the economic realm, John, as you well know, uh, due to our own um, strategic idiocy, we've uh, facilitated allowing the PRC into our economic ecosystem. uh, And that has had enormous consequences for our economy as well as for aiding theirs. In the ideological realm, there's competition just as there was with the Soviets in terms of whether uh, communism is and tyranny is the wave of the future, or whether uh, liberal democracy is the wave uh, of of the future. There's that ideological clash in the realm of space and planetary exploration. Again, just as with the Soviets, there's that competition between having taikonauts land on the moon or having astronauts uh, return uh, uh, to uh, the moon and and. Um, Chinese are quite clear that they're going to colonize the moon and Mars and and, uh, uh, beyond. So in sport, right, again, whether uh, just as with the Soviets, John, you and I are both of an age where we remember Olympics during the Cold War and how many medals did the Soviets win versus how many medals did the American athletes win. So in every realm, uh, in the military realm, obviously in intelligence, right, where you see – Human intelligence, whether other forms of intelligence collection are very aggressive by both sides. In the cyber realm, of course, hyper-aggressive in both sides. So we're not shooting at each other yet, uh, but in every other aspect, this is a Cold War period defined by intense security competition between two great powers. Uh, And so this is how I see international politics and these other issues Beijing is doing what it can do to occupy the bandwidth of the U.S. intelligence community and the Five Eyes, as well as our military, by having concerns in Ukraine, in the Middle East, uh, perhaps a Korean contingency. Other contingencies are, are, are certainly on the table. There's only so much bandwidth, obviously, and that's being filled up, isn't it? by uh, other concerns. Um, And so when we look at it, we see at one level, this is perfectly natural, right? This is what great powers do. The United States was dominant. China's trying to take that dominance from the US. Well, that's an old tale in international politics. That's not a new story. Um, 
often that results in war. Uh, that is a kinetic war. It, it doesn't always, but we have to be on guard uh, for it. But um, in every other realm, it is it is a conflict. Uh, just as the Soviet, uh, the uh, Cold War with the Soviet Union uh, was uh, uh, as well. Proxies too, John, as you know, we're using our allies. They're trying to f facilitate allies uh, as well. Positive element there is the PRC doesn't have many allies uh, just because they're so odious and they're so difficult to deal with. Uh, we have a tremendous advantage because we're far easier to deal with. And people recognize the United States may have its problems, to be sure, but it's a far better ally and a far better friend uh, than the PRC, whose behavior worldwide is defined by exploitation of people and the environment. Wherever they show up, you're going to get ruthless exploitation. Uh, so, um, but... Uh, their might is growing and their ambition is Olympian. Uh, these guys are going to try to take everything and they're going to try to dominate the world and they believe the future belongs to them. So it's really overdetermined the fact that this security competition is going to increasingly get worse as they become more powerful and as they become more belligerent because they are more powerful. Well, for the average American, what are tangible manifestations of the mortal threat? Because people are saying, okay, this doesn't sound good, but how am I personally right now being affected or could be affected almost immediately? What, is the, what are some of the points of evidence of, of CCP malign behavior that threatens the American citizen? There are so many, but there are three I want to touch on. First would be biological warfare, COVID, right? How did COVID affect ordinary Americans? Well, it affected ordinary Americans greatly because we remade our political system. We turned our societies upside down. Um, PPE, we found out, was made in China, as were antibiotics made in China. So we, we very soon felt the sharp edge, didn't we? Uh, yes. of yes. policies that have been felt. Secondly, the fact that, and related to COVID, was that we had hollowed out. The fact that Americans have difficulty with employment, with manufacturing, is because that was outsourced to China. Uh, and so that's a very difficult, the, the fact that our ability to produce what we need in every respect, the defense industrial base, as we were discussing earlier, or personal protective equipment and antibiotics was outsourced to China incredibly imprudently, right? The, the fact that was so foolish, uh, but nonetheless, it's the world that we are. And then thirdly, we would recognize with an open border, okay, so we have uh, obviously PLA assets, M uh, MSS assets coming into the, and others coming into the country, these are men who are going to undertake sabotage, who are going to interfere in elections, who are going to do, or who are uh, essentially conduct covert, co uh, covert activity in the United States, covert action in the United States at the uh, PRC's uh, behest, and fentanyl, right? The drugs and everything else which is coming through are killing so many Americans. And of course, fentanyl is, there are new, essentially even worse, 
uh, derivatives uh, or similar, if you will, cousins uh, of fentanyl that are being used. So if we think about those three elements, Americans can understand disease is coming from this uh, society, economic hardship is coming, and and the loss of American birthrights, right? The fact that um, so many opportunities were lost, so many economic um, opportunities were, were forfeit, and communities were hollowed out, uh, mm. meant that there was really damage to the American soul. And then, of course, an open border and chemical weapons attacks of fentanyl and its cousins or, or a similar uh, uh, narcotics uh, are weapons used uh, against us. They're setting the stage for action in the United States. That's quite clear. You, John, you follow very closely biological weapons and the facilities in California, and who knows how many more there are, uh, is incredibly worrying because that's a great way to, to hurt, uh, and, obviously, and, large numbers of Americans. And, and, and that's we're, and for everybody, if you're not paying attention, it's 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 Reedley, California. Is that the, the town? Reed, yes. Reed, Reedley. Yeah. Um, you know, when when we were just in a, you know, Brad and I were just in a meeting. I mean, this is just outright destruction of evidence and the 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 non-existent U.S. government to response to what is clearly a biological warfare lab in America run by Chinese nationals, and the governmental response is essentially destruction of evidence. Shameful. Well, it is, and and oh, 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 these this must be investigated because uh, uh, BW is so perishable, and the attack vectors are so specific that having it in the United States uh, is 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 so worrisome. But uh, uh, additionally. Um, American interests abroad, and so Americans are affected because their interests, whether that's uh, in energy concerns or whether that's in trade or whether that's in support of allies or support of servicemen and women uh, who are serving overseas, they're directly attacked by the growing power from uh, the uh, People's Republic of China. And then lastly, I would just say the nuclear element. The balloon that floated over our country shamefully and appallingly that the Biden administration allowed uh, at the be uh, a year ago, uh, in essence, uh, uh, roughly a year ago, right, was, was obviously in, uh, important for intelligence collection, but it was a far more symbol of, of political warfare. And that was the sense that China can reach out and kill Americans uh, mm. with this uh, uh, target and, and with hypersonic weapons or with cyber attacks or with nuclear and conventional weapons. Uh, the Chinese are signaling us that, hey, you know, um, if you're going to act in Taiwan or you're going to act with, to support your Japanese allies or your Filipino ally, the American homeland is not safe. Mm. That's mm. the symbol that they're signaling. Yeah. Uh, with that balloon and with men coming in uh, uh, across uh, the border. So does that affect Americans? Absolutely it does because they want to kill us. So does that affect Americans? Absolutely. If you're interested in the, your own survival, the survival of your family, the survival of your country, you need to be concerned with this threat, even given the 
many other threats that the United States faces domestically as well as internationally. This is the big one because these guys want to kill you and they have great ability to do so. And that ability is increasing. Wow. Uh, well, one thing that you, you, you and I have talked about at length and been in a number of meetings on is, uh, and I, you mentioned it earlier, was theater nuclear capability. And, you know, we have long sought this is the reattaching of W-80 warheads. That's a nuclear warhead to the Tomahawks, the legacy cruise missile, but still very effective cruise missile carried by our submarines. And it might be so the so it's now US law in the 24 2024 NDAA, they will reattach the nuclear warhead. It's going to take some engineering time on this. But uh, that's good news. Um, um, what what do you think that effect will have on uh, that's huge war planning? Very, very significant. The Obama administration to get rid of TLAMN was a huge mistake, taking out any theater capability. And so decoupling, right? from conventional to tactical to theater to strategic, right? By, by taking that out, however modest our capabilities were, John, and, and they were modest and they're not what they should be at the theater level or at the strategic level or at the tactical level or at the conventional level. Again, we got ourselves in this situation decade after decade. We did this to ourselves. It was always we could kick the can down the road, couldn't we, right? It was always uh, there was something else more important. But having that capability return, again, on SSN platforms, uh, obviously, and then W76, essentially, dash, you know, dash two, uh, having essentially a low yield um uh, w76 capability uh a warhead uh is is helpful as well but we need to have more of that but but essentially the return of TLMN in new guys uh obviously is extremely important to have that theater capability to deter escalation because we do not want to have to give them any incentive uh to escalate um uh, their capabilities and uh, they possess that already because their hypersonic capabilities, even with a conventional warhead, are, are we could argue, are uh, equivalent or greater than ours. And then um, essentially the pre-orbital bombardment, right, the FOB strategy uh, capabilities they're developing uh, that allow essentially, um, in essence, a very rapid uh, attack against the uh, uh, from the south, the American South, which our early warning capabilities are not as uh, are not what they should be. Again, again oriented towards the obviously over the poles, uh, obviously over the Pacific and over uh, the Atlantic, and and space based platforms are not looking uh, for essentially fractional orbital bombardment attack. So that's a very worrisome capability that they're demonstrating. Uh, and um, we need to match that as well. I mean, if they're going to go into that, then, you know, returning to what we knew in the Cold War of of um, depressed trajectories uh, for our SLBMs um, mm -hmm. so that uh, we have a, a, a similar capability or, or elements that we need to, uh, to entertain uh, as well to match that. Well, wow. Well, this has been, Dr. Thayer, this has been absolutely uh, fascinating, incredible. 
we're coming up to the end of our time. I want to now. Now again, you're you're coming out with the book with uh, uh, Captain Jim Fennell, and what's the name of that book again? Embracing Communist China: America's Greatest Strategic Failure. Okay, well, that's okay. That's going to be an awesome book. And and how can people get to that? It's at Amazon or, or wherever you buy books. Uh, uh, it'll be available, and the release date is going to be in early March. But you can pre-order it now. Okay. And that goes into more detail in terms of the folly of of how we did this to ourselves, um, <clears throat> with uh, Deng Xiaoping's, uh, in essence, laying a strategy that um, uh, has come now to fruition. Okay, and how how else can people uh, get to you? Social media, your your writings, your work. Oh, well, on X at at Brad Thayer, and then uh, Getter and Truth at Bradley Thayer uh, are the best ways uh, 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 to uh, 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 find my writings and okay. and media appearances. Uh, thank you, and we see you regularly on War Room. Uh, you do an absolutely outstanding uh, job. Uh, you are the go to guy. For uh, Steve Bannon and War Room on these uh, on these issues with with China, um, and also uh, Center for Security Policy and uh, a number of other places. But but uh, Brad, uh, thank you so much. Uh, just absolutely awesome session. I really appreciate. It. Thank you. Uh, it was my pleasure, John. Thank you very much for the opportunity. All righty. Well, everyone, this has been uh, Colonel Rhett John uh, with with my special guest, Colonel or. I'm demoting you. You're you're Dr. Bradley Thayer. So so sorry about that. So a uh, good friend, Dr. Brad Thayer, and uh, uh, this has been an absolutely wonderful session on uh, the National Security Hour for America Out Loud News Network. <laughs>